it certainly is kind of redundant to introduce Dave. He's gotten to be a part of the part of the meeting here. We just look forward to these times when he comes to minister to us in late January. We've got our schedule down pretty good now, Dave. I think we've, we've got it pretty well set. Dave is, is someone that I've known for years and years. Uh, he's pushing 40 years in teaching at Emmaus and uh, was there before that uh, as a student and and uh, in his Christian experience, it even goes back further than that because the young people's group did all the courses. It did all the correspondence courses uh, there in Baltimore. So Dave is really committed to Emmaus and has been an, an integral part and an important part of Emmaus all during its history here in this country. And I'm just very thankful to have Dave for a friend and just we really enjoy his ministry with us. So with that, we'll... Uh, Get out of the way, Dave, and uh, turn it over to you. Welcome. Uh, I have two pieces of equipment that I, I picked up. Uh, I've been looking for these as illustrations of, of this series. Do any of you know what these are for? Exercise. What, what's exercise? <laughs> yeah. How do they work? Could somebody come up and show me how this works? Huh. I, I got a big one and a little one. I'm not sure the significance of the two sizes. But okay, here comes one person. Which one would you like? Okay. And we'll need a youngster for this one. Now, what do you do with these? Oh, no, that's not what I had in mind, actually. This way. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's do that one. That, that works better for what I'm trying to illustrate. <laughs> now, let go of one end and do that. <laughs> let, let go of no, while it's down. Would someone else like to do this? <laughs> so let go of one end. And what good does this do if you let go of one end? Oh, nothing. Nothing, right? No. Nothing. Now, here comes a real test. Put them both out there and hold them like that. Oh. Come on, you can do it. Come on. Just stay that way. But do you know what? Thank you very much. That's exactly what we have to do with every one of these subjects we're holding intellectually. You have to hold it like that forever. Because you really can't put it all together. Do you hear that? The subject is doctrines of intellectual tension. What we'll be looking at is of that nature. Jack Fish uh, at school in one of his uh, sermons in chapel just a few weeks ago was talking about the uh, person of the Lord Jesus Christ being fully God and fully man. And he gave a message uh, for some time and then he said this, you know, Nobody understands this. What we do is describe it and defend it, but we don't understand. It causes us to worship. And that is the case. In all of these things, uh, we describe what the Bible says about these subjects, 
So we understand what it says, and we defend misstatements that are made that would uh, have us have less uh, concept of what is in view. But to be able to put all of this together with all the questions answered will not happen this side of glory and may not on the other side either. Do you agree with that? Now look, there's a great verse. I want us to memorize this verse. We'll start tonight. It's one of these handy references that's repeated. 2929. Let's all say 2929. Okay, that's the chapter and the verse. Now we have to figure out the book. That's right. Deuteronomy is the book. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. And uh, it's an easy verse to memorize if you use... uh, the King James or the New King James or the NASV. It's very hard to memorize anything out of the New International. I, have you all recognized that? Because it's written almost in prose and it's hard to memorize a newspaper. And uh, hence, uh, that's a little, little secret commercial. Okay. But uh, here's the verse. I have New King James uh, I'm not, for no reason other than I grew up on the old one and it seems very familiar to me. That's all. It's not a theological issue to me at all. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. Anybody know that verse by heart already? Okay, this is a very big verse to understand, to tell us our part as to the revelation of God. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Let's all say that together. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever. Let's do that. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. With the purpose clause, that we may do all the words of this law. That we may do all the words of this law. Hopefully by the end of our weekend, we'll all know this important verse together. Secret things. We uh, come to the door of God's uh, revelation, and we keep adding to it and adding, growing in our understanding, in our knowledge of Scripture. And pretty soon we, we come to that door that says secret things. And He doesn't open that door to us. The closer we come to that door, the more we realize that there are things that we cannot comprehend and These things have, uh, I wouldn't say troubled me, but they have challenged me in trying to figure out uh, the full concept involved. And in each of them, I'm left with uh, unanswered questions, unanswered uh, concepts. There's so much more, but there's so much more that hasn't been revealed to us. It's a secret thing. Why do you think God would keep things a secret from us? It might not be good for us to know. 
might not be good for us to know. He can do that. Yeah, that's right. I've used that argument a lot of times. (laughs) Haven't you with your kids? I need an explanation. Here it is. I said so. Have any of you ever had that one used on you by your parents? Because I said so. How many of you use it on your kids? It's a great one. To that, there is no answer. But yeah, he he doesn't because he doesn't. He's God. Why else? There's a basic problem. Why do you think he tells us some stuff, and he he has told us plenty, and then not the secret things? That's right. We can't understand it. And the closer we get to the door of secret things, uh, the more difficult it comes. In some passages of Scripture, he takes us way up to the threshold, and we start asking the real hard questions. And uh, he says, I'm not going to answer that. That's a secret thing. Clearly, there are some things that he holds a secret right in Scripture, and he'll tell us that. And other things, uh, it's not quite as strong a dialogue as we interact, as uh, the prophets and and the apostles and others interact with the revelation of God. It's not as clear a dialogue, uh, but there are some things he doesn't tell us. And the subjects that we're talking about are those kind of subjects, the Trinity, uh, the deity and humanity of Christ. God's Word written by man. God's sovereignty, working all things according to the counsel of His own will, and our human responsibility in that, and how that all spins out in so many issues of life. The relationship of faith and works. And prayer. And the will of God. Have any of you ever struggled with any of these subjects? Every one of them, isn't it? Got Hold it in tension. Let's see. What do you think? You got to hold it in. You got to hold it like that forever. There's some things I don't understand. This one God in Trinity. One God, three persons called God. Oh boy, that's hard. I wonder if I can make it through the whole list. What's the next one? The deity and humanity of Christ. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. It's a mystery. still is. Next one. Yeah. <laughs> it's God's word and it's man's word. I understand God's word is part a little better than I can man's part of it. How can man write prophecy? How can he, he write about uh, the creation of the universe uh, according to his own style and Using his own vocabulary. I don't know. We'll talk all about that. What's the next one? Quickly. <laughs> God's sovereignty, yeah. He works all things after the counsel of his own will. And I go through life thinking I'm making a lot of decisions personally, don't you? Yeah, how's that work out? Next one? Faith and works. We're saved by faith, not of works, as any man should boast. And James will say, can faith without works save a man? The answer to that question is no. That kind of faith doesn't save a man. There's got to be some kind of works. How's that work out? And why do some of us work and some of us don't work? Okay. Next one. You ever struggle with this? Prayer in the will of God. 
Even Jesus struggled with that. And in Gethsemane, guess what he said? Not my will, but thine be done. That's the same struggle we all have. So you got to hold him. Boy, he gets sore and tired of holding it like, doesn't it? Oh, man, I feel so strong now. <laughs> Bodily exercise profits but a little. All right? That's a great verse to know. <laughs> That's not what it means, by the way. We all have struggles with these tensions. And uh, what we want to do tonight and throughout the weekend is describe and defend, uh, not resolve, because that won't happen. They're the secret parts. Let's start by looking at this first one. Uh, Each uh, subject has a few charts established with it, connected with it, or some... uh, Passages of Scripture. Now, I was at a conference on one occasion. It uh, was on the person work of the Holy Spirit. And the first speaker uh, said that it's a heretical statement to say that the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. And uh, a brother sitting way up on the front row said, Would you repeat that statement? And he repeated it. This is a big, tall man who was sitting and he, he, he stood up and he had a Bible with a, a case on it. He zipped it up and walked right out of the meeting. He didn't like that statement. And nor did I, but I didn't think it was worthy of a public display of uh, discontent. We'll understand, and I think we probably all know already, but we'll go through this concept of the first, second, and third members of the Trinity and why it is described that way. How many of you all believe in the Trinity, the concept of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? It's one of the great doctrines of the faith. How do we come to that conclusion? Pardon? Okay, there are creeds, so we believe in the creeds. Well, they're good statements. Pardon? It took time. Yeah, the the doctrine of the Trinity was one of the major uh, doctrines that uh, was hammered out historically. Are you aware of the fact that uh, the great doctrines of Scripture were hammered out down through history? And we start just the way systematic theology starts with uh, the concept of the Trinity. Attributes of God and the Trinity. The next great definition related to the person and work of Jesus Christ, who he was, and then the Holy Spirit. And then there was great discussion concerning angels and Satan, and it follows a historical pattern down through history, reaching back to the uh, third, second, third, fourth centuries. When do you think uh, the the big segment of church uh, debate took place concerning the doctrine of salvation, sin and salvation? Where would that be? The 1500s, the Reformation period, and that was hammered out. The next uh, great doctrine after anthropology, sin and salvation, is ecclesiology. When was that hammered out? (laughs) Right there, one year, one name, that's it, done. (laughs) Nice to be in an assembly with strong assembly tradition, yes. But that's the case. 
one of the great contributions of the Brethren movement, way beyond our proportional size, is the statements we have made relating to ecclesiology. How to do church. Relating to priesthood of all believers. Most churches still don't give opportunity for the exercise of priesthood of all believers in worship. They do in prayer, but not in worship. Interesting. We made a huge contribution that way. whole concept of spiritual gifts, individual gifts, grew out of that particular concept as well. And uh, can I quietly say that the fallacy of the clergy was exposed during that time as well? Right? Amen. (laughs) I had some interesting things happen today. Just a couple of statements. Our brother just got back from a... Uh, series in Thailand. And Evan was telling me he was going to go down to Florida and give a series uh, in the book of Revelation shortly. What seminary did you go to? Uh, none. How about you? All right. How can we do that? Because there's no human institution that says you guys can handle scripture because now you you have a certificate that says you do. There's no such thing as clergy and laity in the New Testament church. Can I say that without offending anyone? I don't mean to offend anyone. But you look in vain for that in scripture. We are all priests and we're all gifted. That was part of the contribution of ecclesiology. The same group of men gave an enormous contribution to eschatology as well, the last development of the doctrine of Scripture. It's the last subject. There are only ten subjects in all the Bible. And the brethren have contributed to the last two enormously. We inherited the rest of them, salvation and uh, the ones we're talking about. But in relationship to eschatology and ecclesiology, we have been very, very influential in the evangelical world, especially so in eschatology. Through the prophetic conferences that were held in the uh, middle 1800s came the Schofield Reference Bible, uh, Philadelphia uh, School of the Bible, Pennsylvania Bible Institute, Moody Bible Institute, Dallas Seminary. All of those trace their lineage back to that same period of history and have been the tools by which this whole concept spread into the evangelical world. Isn't that amazing? Amazing concept. All of that from the Nicene Creed. Yeah, this was hammered out early in the history of the church. And we have come to a settled position that can be well represented in in these creeds. But what is that position? And where do we go to Scripture to find that? Oh, you help me. I'll help you too. But better that you help me. Why would you think the Bible teaches there is one God? Where is that? Yeah, 6-4, I think it is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. There's a clear statement in the Old Testament of monotheism. Beside me there is no other God. 
do you know clear statements of it in the New Testament that there is one God? Very clear statement. There is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. Where is that? It's in Timothy. One God, one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul will say uh, of the idols, there is no God behind the idols. They're simply idols. The Bible is a monotheistic book. There is one only and true God. That is clearly stated in an unconfused way in the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. But then we run into the complexity of it all. Especially in the New Testament, though in isolated verses in the Old Testament. Uh, You get a hint of it where at the beginning of creation we read, And God said, Let us make man in our own image. Whoa, what do you mean? Us? Now some will say it's the majestic plural. But as you look at the rest of Scripture, you, you find otherwise. Where would you go to establish that uh, the Father is called God? Let's get some New Testament connections for that. The Father is called God. That's the most common thing we would say, you know, that God the Father. Where, where do you get these linked together? Our Father who art in heaven. And here's the Lord teaching his disciples to pray to our Father God. Yeah, one of the prayers, there's one God and Father. I like the very beginning of Ephesians where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So clearly the Father is ascribed deity, and as you study the the things related to the Father, there are attributes that only deity possesses. And that would be easy if I read in the Old Testament. uh, There is one God, in the New Testament there is one God, and then I read the Father is God. That's okay, that's where I'll stop, but that's not where the Bible stops. Uh, We find that the Bible also identifies uh, the Son of God as God. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ as God. Can you have some helps with that concept? John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Was God. No matter what the JW say, that's exactly what it means. That's a very good translation. The Word was God. Some other verses relating to the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. I like the Colossians one. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Thomas, I love Thomas. See, our failure's good sometimes. That failure produced the clearest statement in the New Testament concerning the deity of Christ. I will not believe unless I put my fingers in his hands and the wounds in his hand, thrust my hand inside, I will not believe. And Jesus shows up. Uh, second time he appears to all of them with Thomas being there. And, 
And he calls Thomas forward. And uh, Thomas makes that great statement. My Lord and my God. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1. But to the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. So there are clear statements relating to the fact that there's a the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's called God. The Father's called God. And the Son is called God. It's getting complicated. That kind of sounds like more than one person being God, doesn't it? Yeah, we'll come back to that. Remember that verse, okay? Okay? Now, it gets harder. Holy Spirit comes on the scene. And guess what's he, what he is called? God, where? All right, that's uh, in Ananias and Sapphira account in, in Acts. In one instance, it says you've lied to God. And when Sapphira comes in, they say you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And uh, they are equated. The Holy Spirit is God. And in Romans 8, you have the Holy Spirit knowing the things of God and uh, taking the things of man to Him in prayer. You have the deity of the Holy Spirit. So the Bible clearly claims Old and New Testament alike. There is one only and true God. And in the New Testament, and hinted at in a number of places, both as to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, but clearly stated in the New Testament, three persons are called God. Now, how relevant is that to our confrontation today the uh, Islamic belief is that there is uh, one only and true God and they look at us and think we have three gods and I think it's kind of logical they would when I say oh look God the Father and then I say God the Son and I'll say God the Holy Spirit and they say I thought you had one God sounds like three to me Now, what do we do with that? It's how you define persons. There are three persons. What is a person? Person is somebody you've got a relationship with. Person is somebody you've got a relationship with. Yeah. Good answer. Person is a why it's a good answer. <laughs> a person possesses will and intellect and emotion, just like the Father. When God said, let us make man in our own image, we look at ourselves and we see what God is like. And you can define personhood that way. And you can do that with each member of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit distributes gifts according to His will. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed. That's that's an emotional kind of thing. Intellectual, the Holy Spirit knows the things of God. Who knows the things of God but God Himself and the Spirit knows that. He has intellect, sensibility, and will. We hear of that same thing with, with the Father and with the Son. Persons. 
separate persons? Is the Son of God God just as the Son of God? See, the Son of God, is He God all by Himself? What does that mean, He and His Father are one? And we have to come back to this verse. That's a big verse. Does it mean they're the same person? No. Well, what's the one? When Jesus will say, uh, Have I so long been with you and you don't understand the Father, don't know the Father? He who has seen me has seen the Father. What does that mean? You look at me and you're looking at the Father? Uh, they work in uh, unity, to be sure. They have same purpose and goal and all of it. What is the one? Godhead. Well, yeah, Godhead. That's what theologians will come down on. It's the Godhead. The oneness is the essence of who God is. The oneness is all of the attributes that all share equally. And now it's starting to get a little sticky in my thinking. Is there a, a, a Godhood apart from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? No. Now, that, that's the thing we need to understand. It's not something out there that these belong to. They share the same essence of Godhead. That's the oneness. Equally, they are co-essential is the term that is used. One in essence, one in Godhood. One as the Father and I are one. One as if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. One as in Hebrews 1, he is an exact copy of the Father. He is Son. The oneness that the Jews would not accept when Jesus called God his Father, and they said, you can't do that because when you do that, this is what you do. What? You make yourself equal to God. And that's exactly what he was doing. Who can forgive sins but God alone? He's claiming deity in that kind of a statement. And that's why he forgives sins, and that's why he says to show that it really happened, stand up and walk. The essence of Godhood. What makes up God the real thing? The essence of God is all that Godhood is. All of the attributes. And they are united in that way. They share all of the attributes of God, of Godhood, equally. The formula that comes out that is part of the creed is there is one only and true God. I would say... If I were writing it, there is one uh, true and only God. I wouldn't say there is one only. That kind of is. Mm. But that's the way it is. There is one only and true God. But in the unity of the Godhood, Godhead, there are three eternal and co-equal persons sharing equally all of the attributes of Godhood. Sharing the essence of Godhood 
equally. And Godhood is not out there. Godhood is the composite of Father, Son, and Spirit in their very essence of the deity, uh, of the uh, qualities of deity. There's not a one God part out there. God is described and circumscribed in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, sharing equally all of the attributes of Godhood, equally in totality. The attributes of Godhood are things like uh, the omni-attributes, omnipotence, omnipresence, omniscience, holiness, freedom, uh, truth, immutability, infinite and eternal, sovereign. These are all the attributes of Godhood. Those are attributes of Godhood that all share, all members of the Godhead share equally. The oneness relates to what they share, not oneness in person. That does not blend together. Now, one way of explaining it, and this is why we say we describe and we defend, uh, try to keep from making mistakes, one way of explaining it is that God, that one God, is a fast change artist. Sometimes he looks like the Father, sometimes he looks like the Son, and sometimes he looks like the Holy Spirit. That's called modalism, different modes of revelation. How would you refute that? This was an ancient, ancient view, and it's held by some even presently. Yeah, it's really a game, isn't it? Uh, there cannot be a relationship with one person. Have any of you ever noticed that? We can pray by ourselves, and we can learn or be taught from Scripture by ourselves, and we can worship God by ourselves, but it's hard to have fellowship with ourselves, isn't it? Uh, that involves another person. So sure, that, that's one way of coming at it. How could it be said of John 1, 1, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, face to face with God, which is, uh, I'm looking at you, you're looking at me. It's a relational term. Face to face with God, and the Word was God. Okay, so that's one reason we say it. Can you cite some illustrations in Scripture that uh, see all of the members of the Godhead operative at one time? At the baptism. What happens at the baptism where you see that? That's a great... You know, Arius was one of the first people who had this modalistic view way back in the early church. And they would say to Arius, go to the Jordan. Why would they tell him that? Active at the very same moment. The Lord is there, the Spirit descends in the form of a dove, and the voice of the Father comes from heaven. That's really quick change, isn't it? Yeah, that kind of makes it impossible. One of my favorite verses out of the book of Hebrews relates to the crucifixion. Were all members of the Godhead active at that time? Here's the way it works out. Who through the eternal spirit offered up himself to the Father? You see, all three members are involved at one time in one act 
that acts for our salvation. We'll talk a little bit more about that at the conclusion. The Lord Jesus gives some instruction as he will go to heaven. He says, you should go and baptize. How? In the name of the Father and then of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So, one in essence, one in Godhood, one sharing all the attributes of Godhood equally, but distinct in subsistence or in personhood, being God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. Three persons, all of whom are God, but one God. Now, are there illustrations of the Trinity that we can use? Well, we do. Do any of them work? No, not really is the right answer. Uh, A triangle is used, but if you have one side of the triangle all by itself, it's not a triangle, but if you have... The Son of God all by himself, he's God. My Lord and my God. Uh, The egg, made up of three parts most of the time, until it becomes scrambled. Okay? Uh, Do your scrambled eggs ever have three parts to them? Mine do somewhat regularly, you know, little white parts in there and a little small piece. But we won't go down that line. Uh... There's the yolk and the white and the shell. Uh, And that helps us understand that one thing can be three things, can contain three parts. But the egg, uh, the white of the egg is not an egg. The father is God himself. So that doesn't work. How about H2O? How does that work? You've got three forms. You can have steam or... Fluid or what's left? Ice, solid, fluid, gas. But not the same at the same time. And I had a doctor in science in class. Yes, you can, yes, you can. And super heated, under pressure. Yeah, you can have them all and it's shifting. I said, I said, oh, you'll have to help me with this because I'm... Not a scientist and a son of a prophet. Neither am I a prophet or a son of a prophet. And I work for a non-profit organization, so it works out rather well. (laughs) The same molecules cannot be gas and solid and fluid at the same time. They're moving about. So that doesn't work either, although it's the most technical help. Nor does a three-leaf clover work. Now, it will help a child to understand one and three. That's okay. It just helps a wee bit. Nothing explains it totally. So we'll put some safeguards around it. We have described it together. Let's put some safeguards about it. That's what the second one uh, does. The relationship within the Trinity. This is a great... Little chart. It's not original with me. It goes all the way back to the early church when they were debating this. 
And this, if we do this, it keeps us safe all the time in describing the Trinity. The Father is God, and the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Son, and the Spirit is not the Son, and the Spirit is not the Father. You just go around the outside of the triangle or the inside, and you're always right. It works. It safeguards us in the whole process. We can describe the Trinity, which we have done. There is one only and true God. And that's taught in Old and New Testament alike. But in the unity of the Godhead, sharing the essence of the Godhead, there are three persons, the same, sharing all the attributes deity, but distinct in subsistence as to how they relate to one another. We have described it. Now, a little safeguard is uh, these things that are not true. And we sometimes make mistakes in this. If you listen very carefully, we ascribe wrong acts to members of the Godhead. Have any of you ever heard us do that? What do we do? You listen in prayer. If you listen carefully, you'll see some uh, nervous people who are trying to say the right thing, make a mistake over a thing that they really know. Happens in the breaking of bread service frequently. Do you have trouble knowing who to talk to in the breaking of bread service when you lift up your voice in praise? Have anybody, any of you folk ever thank God for dying on the cross in the breaking of bread service? Anybody ever make that mistake? I've made that mistake. I've been three sentences into a prayer and I, I think I've been talking to the wrong member to Godhead. <laughs> Haven't any of you ever done that? Am I the only one who ever made that mistake? And especially is it true of an open participation meeting when sometime along the line a, a young man will, will say, you know, I, I want to lift up my voice and praise to God. Aren't we glad for that? And, and it's a very nervous experience. Do any of you remember doing that for the first time? Man, it's a wonder you say anything at all. Especially if you grow up in my assembly where there are 18 critics that would get you in the back of the room. I'm sorry, I'll never speak again. <laughs> yeah. I tell you, that's why young people don't participate a lot of times. Because they're scared silly. And we do make mistakes. Uh, and, and it's a mistake of ascribing to one member of the Trinity uh, a work of another. It probably means the Father there, though. There's got to be some exclamation that doesn't make the Father and the Son the same. Uh, he's the everlasting Father. Isaiah 9. And, and you'd have to say in that regard, Father, in the sense of being the creator. That's a usual explanation for that one. A rule of thumb there is you don't go to the exceptional verse and make it normative. And that's what you have to deal with. When you find a verse that's hanging out there all by itself, you say, oh my. But because the Son is given, and God comes 
children, right. going home from counseling, God. The everlasting father. And the usual explanation for that is that he's a source of life. And he is. The source of life. He's a creator. The source of life. That's what a father is. He's a source of life. And it would be being used in a secondary sense. So when you find an exceptional verse like that, and hey, there are exceptional verses. When you find an exceptional verse, Jesus will quote one I don't understand. He said, why are you so surprised that I identify this as the Son of God? It says in one of your Psalms about the judges, they are the sons of God. Now, he says, you shouldn't be surprised. There's a verse that says that in your Bible, where human beings are called sons of God. Well, that's not the way Jesus is the Son of God, I want to tell you. That's an exceptional verse, and Jesus sticks them with it. And says it shouldn't be such a shock to your ears because you've heard it before. But he may not be saying more than that. You don't say, here's this verse I don't quite understand. That becomes the controlling one. I'll have to say is, I'll hold that intention. I don't quite get how that works. I gave a legitimate and normative explanation for it. That might not be right. But it's an explanation that is contextual and otherwise seen as part of fatherhood. So you, you come at things like that. And you have to say sometimes, here's something we all should say. Let's say it together. I don't know. <laughs> it's a good thing to learn. Best teacher I ever had. Well, I'm one of the best teachers I ever had. I asked a question in class one day. He said, I'm not fresh in that, David. I'll have to study up. I don't know. I wrote that down in my notes. <laughs> That's a good thing. Only God knows it all. We shouldn't assume we do. Yeah, we make mistakes. The uh, song we sang about the Holy Spirit tonight is a great song. I love it. There, there's one little word that could clean it up a little bit theologically. Thank you, O oh my Father, for giving us your Son. What's the next line? Leaving. leaving your Spirit. He didn't leave him. What did he do? He sent him. That's the verse. Uh, the songwriter wasn't a dispensationalist, that's all. <laughs> I'll pray the Father, and he'll send you the Holy Spirit. I sing that song with great gusto. It's one of my favorites. Uh, and we have to clean things up. I didn't quite understand the relationship of the Father and the Son there, and the timing of it all. Yeah, we make mistakes. And this guards us against it in the whole process. Someone mentioned, uh, who mentioned the relationship dimension? That's an important concept. Francis Schaeffer said this, if there is a God, he must be a trinity. That's a neat statement. What do you think he meant by that? If there is going to be full anything, it must be three. You just think two would suffice. But why three? Yeah, here's, here's how it works. And this is what he explained. And I think this is dead right. A uh, little child in the back. little baby boy. What's his name? Micah. Micah. Uh, what child is this in the family? First. First. Do you love your wife more now than you did before the child came? Yep. 
Don't you? Isn't that the way it works? When two people focus their mutual love on a third person, it's the fullness of love. Do you know what Juanita and, and Evan and Melzi and I did a lot this evening? We looked at pictures of our grandchildren. <laughs> and you look at that picture. How many in yours? That big picture that we had? Six. Six grandkids. That would make... Yeah, 16 in the whole crowd. It's the fullest love we have as human beings to one another. Is it real? You know, let's face it, it's family. It's a family of God, we all realize that. And when the family of God and the family is, the family is the same, that's wonderful. And we look at those pictures, and there's a fuller love than you'd ever have. My father always used to say to us and to the grandkids, Aren't you glad your mother and I got married? <laughs> well... Yeah. Fullness of love. Fullness of fellowship. When two persons can focus on a third with mutual love. That's a really fine argument. Fine argument for family. If you're not married, it's a fine argument for a dog. You know, you're going to focus your love on something outside. That's why people get pets. One of the reasons. Isn't it? really is. You get a fuller relationship. Hence the Trinity. Now one of the great things to recognize within the functioning of the Trinity is that there is subordination within the Trinity. Why do we say first member, second member, third member? Why was that man so upset when the preacher said that is heresy. You think it's heresy? Why do you think he was so upset? Yeah, what, what, what did that preacher think it meant? Less yeah, less of value. And yeah, that, I, that's wrong if that's what we're thinking. That the first member of the Trinity is really omniscient. And the third member of the Trinity is you know, not quite. Pardon? Just barely. Just barely, yeah. 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 And that is wrong. But that's not what is meant here. And what is meant is a very valuable thing for us all to understand. It has to do with function of equals. It has to do with, here's a great word to get hold of, especially in our society. It has to do with role. Now, next weekend, you know, we had a terrible thing happen last weekend at home. We had snow. <laughs> and the elders all checked out, and we thought it was it came at just the wrong time, the dry or the parking lot could not have been plowed in time. It was dangerous. The heaviest part of the snow was coming. was icy, so we canceled church. Any of you ever in favor of doing that? There's a movement starting up in our assembly that we should do that once a month, whether, <laughs> no matter what the weather is. You know. 
by surprise so that you get that great, I have a free day feeling, you know? It was wonderful. And it happened to coincide with two of the greatest football games ever played in the history of man, you know? It was fun. Now, of all the players on any football team, who are the unnamed people? Evan, I know will know this answer. Who are the unnamed people? Yeah, the offensive line. Who wins the game? Tackle to tackle. It's really the truth. If they don't do their job, it's all over. There are no runs and there are no passes. If they do their job, it's pretty easy, isn't it? They have a role to play. Unknown. They're anonymous. If you're a good defensive end, everybody knows you. If you're a hard-nosed linebacker with 54 on your back, everybody knows you. If you're a good quarterback, or if the good Rex or bad Rex shows up, everybody knows you, you know? Nobody ever knows those people unless you're a purist. They have a role to play, critical role. They understand their role. The quarterback takes them out to dinner all the time. They know that role. He knows that role. In the Trinity, there's role to play, responsibilities. Give me some of the concepts that make up the role of the father. What does he do? This is an interesting thing, too, because in Titus chapter 1, uh, a few verses in it says, uh, according to the eternal promises made before the earth was made. So this is the eternal covenant we're talking about, where members of the Trinity enter into promise one with another as to what role they will play. What role does the father play? What's he do? I'll ask the same question for the son. Pardon? He's the strategist. We would call it, he is the one who makes the plan. And there are verses that show that. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Whatever that means. And we're not saying what that means tonight. Maybe we will tomorrow. The Lord be not come. Uh, but you got to say, he chooses. That's part of the God. What else does God do? God the Father. He sends the Son. That's an important concept. Hold on to that one. What else does he do? He assigns judgment to the Son. Right. He, he delegates responsibilities. Uh, he would have been the origin of it. Uh, the person who shows up, I would think, would be the second member of the God. He loves the world. That's right. God loved the world. And you see the next statement relating to the Son that He gave His only begotten Son. So He's the one who's characterized as the originator of the plan, who chooses, who loves the world. And in relationship to that, once a person believes, what does the Father do? The new creation? Everything he creates in the beginning. Well, uh, he delegates that to the Son to create. 
And that's the Son too. See how tricky this gets? That's Colossians 1. You both referred to that. He adopts us as sons. Who forgives? The Father forgives. See, it's the Father's plan. He assigns responsibilities in the plan. He chooses. He gives a son. And he's the one, upon confession of faith, who forgives. And he justifies. And he keeps us. Along with the son. We're in the Father's hand. And they're more than that. Do you understand what we're doing? This is exciting to me. Is it to you? This is what the Father does. Is it great? What does the Son do? He's the Creator. All things were made by Him and for Him, Colossians 1, and through Him all things are held together. He's a judge. He has made Him judge of all the earth. He's at the right hand of God. He has appointed a day when which He will judge the earth. He's our great high priest. That's His present session. He is the sacrifice Himself. This man, having made one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He's the mediator, the one who intercedes, the advocate. He will return. He was the prophet. He is the priest. He will be the king. That's all the work of the son. Not all of it, but these, all those three are works of the son. Enormous. Uh, you had said earlier that the Father will send the Spirit. What about the Son? He sends the Spirit as well. And that is key to understanding the one, two, three concept. What does the Holy Spirit do? He reveals Christ to us. Pardon? He convicts of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He's called a famous poem, The Hound of Heaven. He pursues us, nips at our heels until we come to faith. What else? I I still didn't hear him. Pleads on our behalf. In Romans 8, when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit translates that into the will of God. I love that concept. That's right. It's a down payment that we are going to inherit far more. Not far more of our salvation, but far more. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. A couple other things. Yes. He uh, interprets it for us. Superintends the writing of it. He is the author on the divine side. Holy men of God spoke as they were born along by the Holy Spirit. He gives us assurance. He's the one who assures us, us, Romans 8. He's the one who brings new birth to us. God forgives. Here's the way it works. Jesus dies on the cross. The Holy Spirit convicts us. We believe God forgives us and the Holy Spirit regenerates us. He gives us new life. Don't you know you must be born again by the Spirit of God? Baptizes us in the body of Christ. Holy Spirit got a lot of assignments. Doesn't sound inferior to me, does he to you? 
and he's not. Different roles to play. And the Father sends the Son. And the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit from the Upper Room Discourse. John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Whole cluster of teaching. And establishes this concept relating to the order. Father sends the Son, Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit. There is subordination within the Trinity. Subordination to function according to the various promises they made one to another, these eternal promises, before the earth was. And we are at the center of that in bringing salvation to us. The triune God is operative in our salvation. That is an exciting concept. It is a division of labor. Subordination... Well, I wouldn't read that into it. It is a what you said first is exactly right. It's a division of labor. That does not, and that's a very lesson I want us to learn out of this. Uh, subjection, subordination, authority over another person does not imply inequality whatsoever. And that is a big concept. It is a concept within a family. Children are not inferior to their parents. They are subordinate and in subjection to their parents. The same is true of the wife. The same is true in church life. The same is true in the Trinity. Role is no threat to value. Inherent value. And if we get hold of that, a big problem of our life is solved. Because I work for somebody does not mean I'm inferior to that person as a person. Though I have a lesser role. And that's a big one. To be able to function happily in everyday life. As Jesus will say of the centurion. I've never seen such faith in all of Israel, and that was faith to understand the authority structure. He said, look, I am under authority, and I have authority. I say to my servant, go, and he goes, and come, and he comes. And you can do that yourself with this sick person. I understand authority. Jesus said, that's a definition of faith, that you understand the structure of subordination. It's a great concept. And it is not a concept of inferiority. We have described. We have defended. But I really don't understand the statement. There is one only and true God. But in the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons, the same in essence, sharing all the attributes of Godhead equally, but distinct in, in, in person. Being God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we hold that intention. There is one God. And there are three persons called God. And that's as close as we can come to understanding it. To go beyond that door. To get into the secrets of the way the Trinity exists is beyond our comprehension. And that's all we know about it. Let's pray together. Father, help us to uh, 
Rejoice in the great working of yourself and your Son and the Holy Spirit. In history, in creation, in salvation, and in the future to come. And we acknowledge, even this day, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Blessed Trinity, Holy, Holy, Holy. We pray in your Son's name. Amen.